My name's Sarah, and um, we are going to be continuing our Godly Words sermon series, which we're coming to the end of. Uh, we've been um, looking and thinking about how our words reflect the character and nature of God. We've been hearing about powerful words, encouraging words, honest words, witnessing words, and slow words. And today, I'm going to be talking about necessary words. Let's pray. Father God, just ask that you would come and be with us now, that you would take these words that I've prepared and speak to the hearts of your people, Lord, that we would become more like you, that we would go away changed and challenged and inspired. In Jesus' name, amen. In the Disney animation, Bambi... Thumper, the young rabbit, on meeting the newborn Bambi for the first time, comments that he looks kind of wobbly and he isn't very good at walking. He is then reprimanded by his mother to remember what his father had told him just that morning. And he recites it back. If you can't say anything nice, don't say nothing at all. I think this has become a popular phrase amongst parents. I'm pretty sure my mum said something similar to me growing up, and I'm sure I've said it to my kids. It's even become a moral in and of itself, and if you Google Thumper's Rule, you'll find a whole host of articles expounding on this moral. On thinking about necessary words, I was also reminded of the famous quote attributed to Francis of Assisi, Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Whether or not you agree with this statement, it's an interesting one to ponder. What are the necessary words we need to use in order to preach the gospel? Can we really preach the gospel without using words? Which words do we think are necessary or unnecessary? This prompted me to think that perhaps I shouldn't preach this morning at all. After all, just in case I say something that's not nice or is simply unnecessary, perhaps we should have a time of silent prayer instead. No? Well, I think especially considering the beginning of this chapter in James, where it's written in verse 1 that not many should become teachers, as those who teach will be judged more strictly. I hope that this morning I won't say too much that is unnecessary and that you won't judge me too harshly if I do. As someone who uses my tongue to teach, to speak, to sing as a way to earn my living, I think this passage in James on on an initial read I found to be quite terrifying. The tongue is described as being a world of evil among the parts of the body. It says that it corrupts the whole body and it sets the course of one's life on fire. It's also described as being full of deadly poison and impossible to tame. It's all very dramatic language. What then can we possibly do about this seemingly terrible and untamable part of our body? Well, let's look at the letter of James as a whole. I think it's one of pastoral encouragement and guidance. It was written to the Jewish Christians fairly soon after Jesus' death and resurrection, and they had been scattered across Europe in response to persecution back in Jerusalem following the martyrdom of Stephen. 
And these people were going through trials and oppression as believers in Jesus. And James was encouraging them to live out a mature Christian lifestyle, which would have been so different from the culture of the Roman Empire that they were all surrounded by. So I guess one of the main aims of James's teaching was to bring these believers in Jesus to spiritual maturity so that those around them could see by the way they live their lives that they are different. That includes how they speak. Can those around us see from the words that we speak that we are different? So it would seem that according to James, our spiritual maturity is evidenced by the way we use our tongues. Sinclair Ferguson, a Scottish theologian, said in a sermon that I listened to on this passage that how we use our tongues provides clear evidence of where we are spiritually. He used the example of a doctor looking in your mouth at your tongue because your tongue shows the general health of your whole body. And so equally, the words that we speak show the health of our hearts. Jesus spoke about this very thing. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, he said, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And again, in chapter 15, verse 18, he said, But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. So in order to establish which of our words are necessary or unnecessary, we need to be thinking about the state of our hearts. We even see this relationship between the heart and the tongue Again, back in Proverbs, in chapter 26, 23 to 25, which says, Like a coating of silver dross on earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. Enemies disguise themselves with their lips, but in their hearts they harbor deceit. Though their speech is charming, do not believe them, for seven abominations fill their hearts. So here, it's possible to cover up the reality of the state of our hearts with words that make us look good on the outside. But according to Jesus, the truth of our hearts will inevitably overflow into the words that we speak. So this tongue that we each have, though it's a small part of the body, it has great power and great influence, both for good and for evil. And as in the examples in the passage, certain small objects have this same kind of power, which seems out of proportion to its size. The bit in the horse's mouth or the rudder of a great ship both have the power to control something much bigger than itself. I'm sure there have been many times in your life when your tongue has taken control and you've perhaps said something that you immediately wish you hadn't said or maybe written an email in anger or frustration only to regret it as soon as you've hit the send button. Or perhaps you've posted a status on social media or commented on someone else's post which you disagreed with and then found yourself caught up in an argument wishing that you'd never said anything in the first place. It's so easily done, especially in this age of social media where we can kind of hide behind our words and an online persona which may not be who we really are. If you were face to face with that person who you disagreed with, would you still say the same thing? Are the words you are saying or writing showing the reality of your heart? 
I think this could perhaps be something the current president of the United States should perhaps think about a bit more before he gets on Twitter. The dramatic language of the passage describing the tongue as being corrupt and evil and untamable suddenly seems to make more sense when you think of Donald Trump. It will be interesting to see whether this president's unnecessary, untamed words said in haste will eventually be his downfall. Looking into history, we can certainly see times where this has happened in the past. How often have we seen a politician's outspoken or ill-thought-through public comments end up destroying their own political career? Made me think of Edwina Curry back in the 80s, her live TV comments about the salmonella crisis. Um, which inevitably ended up in her resignation, or many other times of um, politicians telling numerous lies about affairs or corruption or antics. If you know me even just a little, you will know that a reference to the musical Hamilton has to come next. The two lead characters, Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr, are temperamentally opposites, which makes them rivals. Burr's political instinct and his whole life's philosophy are captured in a phrase that he says to Hamilton. Talk less. Smile more. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. If he was alive today, I think that he would have a carefully crafted Instagram account full of picture-perfect images which made him look good on the outside but would give nothing away about what he really thinks. A bit like that coating of silver dross from the Proverbs passage, disguising a deceitful heart. Alexander, on the other hand, wore his heart on his sleeve. He was passionate and dedicated and didn't care what people thought about him. Unfortunately, despite him being the hero of the musical, we see his demise come about because of unnecessary words. It is history, after all, and you can't change history for a musical. He became the first American politician to be publicly involved in a sex scandal, deciding that after being blackmailed, he would rather the nation know all the gory details of his extramarital affair than be accused of financial misconduct. It was complicated, but although he decided to use words to tell the truth about the situation, it was for all the wrong reasons, showing that sometimes even honest words can also be unnecessary words and can cause hurt and harm and even end someone's career. Alexander's words did truly come from his heart and they also showed the flaws and the fears and the selfishness that was in his heart. It's interesting that the way we speak is influenced by where we grew up and who brought us up. We tend to speak in the same accent and with similar vocabulary to perhaps our parents or the people that we were surrounded by as a child. I grew up in Scotland and so I have a Scottish accent. Although it's not as strong as it once was because I've lived in London for such a long time and I'm no longer surrounded daily by other people with Scottish accents. So my accent has changed. It's changed slowly and in subtle ways as I'm influenced by the people around me speak day to day. And it's the same with the language that we use. We pick up phrases 
or sayings which are perhaps particular to the area that we live in or even our own family. And because that is normal for where we are and who we are with, we don't really think anything of it. But then someone will come along from somewhere else and they won't understand or they'll laugh because to them it means something completely different. I've also found in my life that this principle can have a negative effect. I used to work in the theatre and many people who work in theatre, not all, but many, use language in a very different way than I do now. Um, there would be a lot of swearing and cursing and almost using swear words as a punctuation. So they almost lost all meaning and they wouldn't even be aware that they were doing it. And I found that the more I was surrounded by this language daily, the more easily it was to get sucked in. The more I would find myself saying certain words because it had become normal in the context I was in and no one even noticed if I said them. The way we speak and the words we speak are influenced by the words that we hear. So if our words and the way we speak is so influenced by what's going on around us, what happens then when we surround ourselves with Jesus's words? If we keep reading and rereading his words, what comes out of our mouth will be formed by what comes out of God's mouth. The words that we speak will be more in line with what Jesus said. Matthew 4 verse 4 says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. If we live off God's words, our hearts will be made whole and we will learn to speak God's language. God will give you a new song with new vocabulary and a new accent, a Jesus-like accent. If our hearts are filled with love and joy and peace, then we will also speak words of love and joy and peace and truth and hope and forgiveness. If we are to be his image bearers in the world, then the words from God to us must be the words that we then speak to others. So when you're deciding what to say, that old saying, what would Jesus do, springs to mind. Or more specifically, what would Jesus say? Can you imagine Jesus saying the words that you are about to say? Obviously, the more we know Jesus and the more we know his heart, the easier it will be to know the answer to that question. I also think this passage implies that there's also a balance to be found. There are positive and negative aspects to our control over the words that we speak. We need to be able to say nothing when nothing needs to be said to have the ability to hold our tongues when necessary. Hold your tongue being another of those parenting phrases often used. I don't know about you, but when it was said to me as a child, I used to do this in response as a cheeky comeback, but it had the same effect in stopping me from speaking. We need to know when silence is the most appropriate response. Or are there times even when we simply don't need to speak, but instead act. Is this the time when our words are unnecessary in a positive way? After all, that bit in the horse's mouth also allows us to control the horse so that we can enjoy riding it safely. And the ship's rudder also allows us to steer the ship away from danger 
so that we can enjoy the wind in our face. Perhaps there will be times when our hearts can communicate to our tongues to stay silent in order to keep us safe or to do some simple acts to show Jesus' love to those who need to hear it without using any words. But I think in contrast, we also need to be able to know when to speak up, when to control our words thoughtfully and carefully to stand up for justice for those who perhaps don't have a voice. Do we have a responsibility to speak up courageously, even if it means risking ourselves or our reputation? In history, there are people who are famous because they spoke necessary words of truth in a moment that then changed everything. Think of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, Emmeline Pankhurst's Freedom or Death speech, or Nelson Mandela, Free at Last. Sometimes words are necessary to stand up for the poor and marginalised, to change the world, to make it a better place. If we see an injustice, we shouldn't keep silent, but have the courage to use necessary words to speak out against it. Are those the necessary words, perhaps, that we need to preach the gospel? What would Jesus say? Towards the end of the passage, James also describes the tongue as being like a small spark, which can set a great forest on fire. It has the power to set the whole course of your life on fire, and the fire itself comes from hell. The word hell in this context is the Greek word Gehenna, which actually means rubbish. It means a dumping ground for waste and sewage, and it was referring to a specific place, a wasteland outside of Jerusalem, which was used for this purpose. And it was continually being set on fire to destroy the rubbish and the bad smells that were surrounding it. If our tongues are controlled by the rubbish and the bad smells in our lives, then the words that we speak will truly show the condition of our hearts. If we want the rubbish in our lives to be cleared away and have less power over us, the words, less power over us and the words that we speak, we're going to need to let Jesus' words of life into our hearts. If we surround ourselves with Jesus' words, then his words will become our words. Our hearts will be made new and we'll have the power to speak words of life to others. What a joy and what a privilege that is. We will be better equipped to know when to stay silent and when to speak up so that our words can really make a difference. We will know which words are necessary to preach the gospel. Imagine a world where we only speak to each other the words that God speaks to us. Imagine a world where our hearts are so full of God's love, of God's joy, his creativity, his passion for justice, his grace, his mercy, his delight in his creation, that it overflows into our mouths and we can only speak words of life to one another. Imagine the songs that we could write, the poems, the plays, the stories, if we all spoke with God's language and in his accent. What would our lives be like if we really lived off every word 
that comes from the mouth of God. Amen.